Great to be here with you on this Wednesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Appreciate uh, Jamie Bradford joining us here on the program as uh, South Carolina and Georgia coming up this weekend. And certainly a tall task, but a rivalry game that, uh, again, BJ, if you think back to some of the Mark Rick years, and even with the Spurrier uh, teams at South Carolina, always some good competitive football games. Now, that hasn't necessarily been the case all the time here in the, the latter couple of years outside of the South Carolina upset, but... This has been one since South Carolina has come in the SEC that's been uh, one of the more interesting ones to watch every single time it comes up on the calendar. Yeah, you've had some crazy games. I mean, you've had some really unique kind of uh, finishes. I mean, you go back to South Carolina blowing Georgia out, you know, not long ago when they had Jadavion Clowney. You go back to, like you said, the Israel Mukwamu game and uh, and uh, Jamie Obviously right, Javon Kinlaw did just just just, just making huge whoa, plays whoa, whoa, in that one. Didn't he? No, but didn't he? Didn't he? David Pollock strip whoa, sack happen against South Carolina? Whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, the Kevin. strip touchdown. No, BJ and Kevin, who cares? Uh, uh, earlier today, uh, I told y'all that when I played at Tennessee, that Tennessee said Sikkim Smokey. Kevin called his sister to clarify that they didn't right. say it. I was there, and you know who I called? I called Troy Fleming, who. Grew up in Tennessee, went to Battleground Academy in Franklin, went to Tennessee and blocked for Travis Henry and Jamal Lewis. I texted him, and he said, quote, yes, at Tennessee, they indeed say, sick em, Smokey. So, so put that in your pipe and smoke so it. So basically, at the end of the day, we both have a source that says it did and didn't happen so all here's the same thought, time. Here's the thought. What, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're going to believe a player or a person that worked there? She worked in the athletic department. I think she would know what they would do would say on game day. Now, two people. And her response was a pretty emphatic no, they don't say But that. I was there, and I okay. heard it, and he was there. Is there some hillbilly that may have yelled that? I think maybe. No, no, no. If the hillbilly just happened to be the voice of the Vols, that would be the hillbilly, because <laughs> that's who said it. He said it on the loudspeaker. Sick of Smokey, and quote, Smokey is on the prowl. All right, well, through all that, um, how do Georgia fans feel about that, if that indeed does? Because isn't it Sikkim Dogs? Now it's Sikkim Smokey. And, I'm sorry. And I mean, said, do, 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 do the dogs like got growling? The dogs the got trademarked on the word Sikkim? Pretty sure. Is huh? What? Baylor is Sikkim Bears? I'm is just that, saying. Is that what Bears do? If, if, if somebody got a Sikkim Bear on, you better be, yeah. You about to be sick to your stomach because <laughs> you're gonna rip it out. Does but it, I'm just saying. Does a bear even know what that means? A dog does. You can train a dog to know what that means. Kevin loves bulldogs. A bear, you could just you know, put some camping food out there and it'll go tear it up. We'll come back. Take three right around the corner. BJ's confused. We'll try to clarify that in an hour two. Take three around the corner. It's three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here. Three and out. Hour two, we'll hear from Corey Woodruff of the Falcoholic. We'll talk Falcons and Bucks coming up here in just a little bit. But it is 4 o'clock. Let's take three here on 3 and Out. Made Christian do it too quickly today. I know. Well, you know, it's fine. Here we go. Take one. Is the Penn State whiteout game the best atmosphere in college football? Penn State whiting it out for Auburn this weekend. It's up there. You know, it's up there. And, and you know, looking forward to uh, game day and, and that atmosphere. It's definitely uh, one that's, that's that's in the conversation. I think I also have a hard time comparing atmospheres when I haven't been to a game at, at that location because my first thought when I when I read the question was, it's got to be a Saturday night at LSU. 
and I've never had had the chance to to go to a home game at LSU. But a lot of people that I've talked to who have been to multiple venues have said that LSU at night, a Saturday night in LSU, is about as intimidating and about as loud and just and just rowdy as it gets. In terms of places that I've been, I think Auburn's really cool. Uh, I think Clemson, obviously, we talked about that last week with the running down the hill is really cool. Florida State uh, with the entrance is really cool. But I think maybe Christian said this last week, too. South Carolina, don't sleep on South Carolina, okay? There's a lot of great atmospheres in the SEC. South Carolina, when they serve Big Spur, they got cocky and playing 2001. So South Carolina is one of the best atmospheres I've ever, I've ever seen. The law offices of B.J. Bennett. Why give an answer when I can give you seven? Go ahead, Ben. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean. Oh, I thought he said it's up there. And uh, then never said it was man. number one. Look, I, I, I highly respect uh, PJ. And uh, PJ, you know, uh, you know, the, the we are. Zombie, listen. What is it? Zombie Nation or whatever it is. And uh, everybody's going crazy. You got, you got a bunch of cats from Pennsylvania wearing all white. And all of a sudden, you know, Zombie Nation going, they're getting ready to go crazy. And this is what they like. Listen, you're not allowed to wear anything but white. If you come in here trying to, I'm going to make a statement, I'm going to wear all blue. Get out! I think the fact that everybody is in unison, the fact that everybody understands this is what we're doing, night game, I understand. Listen, I, I love certain traditions too. You know one tradition I love, even though it might be a little... A little corky. I'm not going to say what it is. Shut up, BJ. You know what I'm talking sick about. Sick of Smokey. You know, sick of Smokey. Ooh, <laughs> Smokey's on the prowl. No, I'm going to I'm going to go with PSA because I, I'm going to go with, because obviously, I mean, I, th- I think the jump around is, I think it's very, very underrated. I love to jump around. But yes, if I had to pick one because they understand what it is, you don't come into the stadium not understanding what it is. There ain't no, wait a minute, why is everybody wearing all white? No, you got the memo. You got the mass email. So, yeah, I, I can say the Penn State because, the, you know, you got to have something that you're known for outside of just the brand of football. See, I, I can say it might, be the, it might be the best atmosphere. Yeah, big game atmosphere, LSU at night. I would say that's probably right up there at my number one. But Penn State is really cool. I think it's just a coolness factor. You're in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and as Ben said, whatever, there are mountains around the valley. In order to have a valley, you have mountains around you. There you go, but everybody wearing, uh, everybody wearing, uh, you know, as been said, it's not just like, hey, seven or eight sections are in all white. Like the whole stadium is is into it, and again, big game atmosphere to be. It's it's right up there, but I would say LSU night game when the Tiger fans have had all day to party and fuel up for the game. One of the best ones out there, the best one out there. All right, take two. Should college football? Have an enforced depth chart and injury report like the NFL. Boy, this is a pet peeve of Christian Gokel. I don't think so. To me, the circumstances are different. And and I know in terms of kind of the practicality of high-profile college athletics, you know, a lot of it's like pro football. But when you're a, a an, an NFL player, that's your job. That's the totality of what you do. And the you know the organization, the you know, then when you play for the Tennessee Titans, that's that, that's what's going on prepping for, playing for, promoting football, you know, updating information, et cetera. I think when you're talking about college athletics and, again, the practicality of this argument, I understand, but in theory, it's still non-professional to a certain extent in whatever way you define this amateur athletics. And I think you're talking about student athletes who aren't just football players, but are also students. And and that's a pretty considerable 
uh, 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 responsibility to have to deal with. And I think when you start kind of professionalizing every single aspect of college football, I don't think that's fair because I think they're different. And I think with with, with the NFL, you're talking about full-grown adults, you know, in their medical and, and injury situation. I think with, you know, college athletics and, and teenagers in some respects, it's okay to be, you know, a little less up to the minute with, you know, every single thing that's happening medically in terms of the information being available to everybody. And I just think, there's a lot more fluidity in, in college rosters as well. Whereas in the National Football League, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but for the most part, you have a pretty good feel throughout the year, whether it's game one, game eight, or game 16, as to who your quarterback is, who your number one running back is, who your three linebackers are. In college, it's a lot more fluid. And you have dramatic change sometimes from week to week. So I, I, I think, you know, at the NFL it's level, it's one thing, but I don't think you need it in college football. It's a different sport. I beg to differ so much from a person that had to play the game, and you got to understand. Let me tell you something. I don't need to be in the middle when it comes to who's going to play and who's not going to play. When I was at Florida, they had a list to know, like, if it's a home game and you're not going to be, like, you know, on the bus, that means you got to stay in your dorm room, get up and walk through all those fans to make it to the stadium. You don't even get to go to the hotel. There is nothing more prestigious than knowing where you stand on a football team. And hold on, sometimes- Ben. Hold on, Ben. 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 I'm not talking about the players don't know. I'm saying I don't think it has to be released to the no. to the public. Yeah, but what? But what? Listen, we release everything else. It's not that big of a deal. It's it's really not that big of a deal. You're not playing. You're not playing mind games with the other team. Just put it out. Just put it out. Is it? Listen. This is the. Is it college football? The minor leagues or NFL? It's 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 it's, it's a it's the breeding ground for the ne- for the next great players in the NFL. And it's what it says to your players. Look, put it out. This this is who on the injury report. Because another thing is too, I mean, sometimes you put it out because what if I'm what if I am the third tight end and I don't know the second tight end is not playing? Because he practiced all week. I don't know he walked into the training room and no, told him. Dude, 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 in the lot I want to be clear here. I'm not saying you don't tell your own players. I'm saying there's a difference in having that information internally versus there being a mandate that you have to tell Kevin Thomas or you have to tell B.J. Bennett or Ben Troop or put it out on a message board or whatever. Obviously, that information is vitally important inside the program, of course. I'm saying, like in the NFL, I don't think it has to be, hey, uh, uh, Wake Forest or Georgia Tech, you better give us your updated depth chart by Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock, or you better tell us you know, how the ankle of the backup offensive lineman is doing. I don't, I don't necessarily think that has to be mandated for all public consumption. Everything else is, is for public consumption. Every single thing college football does is for public consumption. I mean, you live streaming, uh, you know, uh, um, spring games now and all these. It's it's fine. It's, listen, don't make something that's not a big deal a big deal. Like that's that that is not a big deal. Now, do you need to know you know everybody's personal information? No. Do you need to know you know what people are dealing with away from football? No. Like just put it out. We we make it in a big deal. These coaches. They want it. Basically, this comes down to these coaches don't like, you know, having things that that are not a part of or not something they came up with. They have to be mandated to do it. Put the freaking thing out. I, I know that what Georgia Tech don't do the above the line thing no more, which I still don't even know what that was. Yeah, they do it. They do do it. Oh, they still do the above the line. ATL. The ATL above the line. Yep. Listen, put it. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Well, my well, my bad, Jeff Collins. I apologize. You know, but I'm just saying it's not. I am 404 for the culture. I mean, I'm just saying, it's 404 for the culture? We will see. But, no, put it out. It's not that big of a thing because the more they say they're not going to do it, the NCAA, the little 
power it does have, they will end up mandated so everybody has to do it. Look, I, I think it's, and I mentioned this to Christian, this is a pet peeve of his because I, I, I said I feel like more teams are doing it because they can, they don't have to. Uh, but NC State earlier this year when South Florida said they weren't going to do a depth chart, they said, fine, we're not going to do it either. We're not going to do it all season long. I think you're seeing more teams go uh, to either not doing it or like a uh, Jeff Collins, Georgia Tech style, where they just simply say, these are the guys that are going to play. Have at it. I, and, and, again, I I don't have a problem with it either way because I think that is something – and, Ben, maybe you've been in the locker room. I think that is something that fans get so carried away with, like, oh, so-and-so is going to start. I mean, it's a football game. That's only good for the first play. And then the coach says, get in there, and all of a sudden the guy who wasn't the starter is out there on play number two. and Or you start in a different formation, and technically you didn't start because we were in two wides instead of three wides, and now we have an extra – so – I kind of think that stuff gets overblown uh, by the fans who want to uh, consume it, and I, I honestly don't think it's that big a deal. Just just my two cents. Christian's got steam listen, coming listen, out of his ears put, because listen, of that. Christian, Christian's going to – listen, we're going to get a breaking news. Christian Gokel has been hired on the staff of UGA, and he's in charge of – Of not you know, releasing oh, no, no, the depth chart. No, no, no. He, he, is, he is the logistics – you know, liaison, meaning I get to put out what I want to put yeah. out, how I want to put Kirby it out. Kirby Smart's just going to come out with the DGD list, and that's going to be it. That's that's all it is. Of course. I mean, we're petty. We're some of the most – we're the pettiest people out there. <laughs> we, we, we know we know we're petty. When people go, listen, unsportsmanlike conduct is how you really look at it. I mean, no, 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 this is what it be. Is your quarterback hurt, Kirby? Is your quarterback hurt? I mean, no, I'm asking about yours. I'm asking about yours. Yep. Yeah, that's true. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you'll know who's running Dan out Mullen there said that when they run out there. What about Anthony Richardson? Oh, he's going to play. Okay, what does that mean? He's going to play. All right. The end. Speaking of uh, things that are out there in college football, per recruiting analytics on Twitter, Brock Bowers, uh, tied in at Georgia, reached the second fastest max speed this past weekend, hitting 21.9 miles per hour on his long touchdown catch. The other four of the top five are two running backs, a quarterback, and a wide receiver. So you have a big man. In the top two, how absurd is that? Very impressive, and he's been a great playmaker. I mean, you look at his production when we were talking about all the names to watch and, you know, who could put up big numbers. I don't think we, you know, we mentioned him, and and he's been uh, right there. And, yeah, the athleticism, the playmaking ability. I mean, but it's also been, you've talked about this, just the continued sort of evolution of of the tight end position. I mean, these guys are big-time athletes. You're talking about uh, offenses that are run through tight ends and 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 even if it's not for a full game for stretches of the game where the tight end is sort of the catalyst and you see it of course in the national football league uh with 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 superstar tight ends everywhere but yeah very very impressive i appreciate brock for going out there listen brock is doing what he's supposed to do from a standpoint of showing people that the tight end position it's been it's been a premier position but it takes guys having to run i don't know 21 0.9 miles per hour, running four four ones and forties to get to get the attention that it that it is garnered. I mean, Brock Bowers. I mean, twenty one point nine. My goodness. I mean, to, and that and that's with shoulder pads on. That's with the helmet. That's with the, that's people. That's putting them up and putting them down. Hey, that's very 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 impressive. But I'm I'm gonna need him to calm that down with the Georgia game and with the Florida game. Uh, you know, vastly approached. But no, I, do I'm, you know it, how fast in miles per hour you ever ran? Did anybody no, tell you? I, that? I, okay. I, 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 I do not. I, I'm not gonna listen. No, no, no. I'm not going to do I'm not going to do that. Ben's like, get me at my prime. <laughs> hey, listen, 20, 21.9. I'm not going to say I was ever at no 21.9. But, uh, you know, maybe like, well, I don't know, 18, 19 maybe, maybe. But 21.9, that's elite status. 
that's that that that's another level. And, and once again, I'm happy. Um, you know, Kevin and BJ. You know, they say uh, per recruiting analytics. So if you want to be a Division One tight end, that's another thing you got to do. Can you run 21.9 miles per hour? Wow. The fastest who got? Tyreek Hill was 21.6. 20, 20.76 in the playoffs, Tyreek Hill. And Brock Bowers ran faster than that. Impressive. Very impressive for a big man. Again, you know, I, you know who don't like that? Oh, Darnell Washington. Yeah. Hey, man, I don't need <laughs> you running on 21, almost 22 miles an hour when I ain't playing. But, hey, man, shout out to that young man, you know, picking him up and putting him down. 6'4", 240, getting in there. I would, like, I, would, I would like to say it's, like, it's supremely impressive, and it is, but, like, we see guys more and more. You're seeing, like, guys who are ridiculously big, like tight ends, do this. And I mean, the fact that he's doing it is ahead of the curve. But, like, every year you see some freak athletes, like, I can't believe big man, like, you, uh, yeah, Kyle Pitts last year. I mean, but every, even then, like, people don't realize. You see guys who are, like, offensive linemen now who are, like, 305 pounds putting down, like, five, four nines and stuff in the 40. Like, man, he's slow. No, you don't, like, he's six four, three hundred 300-plus pounds, and he just ran a sub-5. That is insanity. Like, that, and I, I think we're seeing that more and more. That's what separates that's, that's what, that's what separate the good from the great when you talk about breaking down things like, like, the average human being couldn't even fathom, let alone do. And he's doing it in the heat of a play. Like I got to, I got to do, I got to get my assignment. I got to get open. I got to catch the rock. Then get in that twenty-one point nine. Shout out, shout out to them tight ends, the best athletes in the land. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I can do twenty-one point nine on a moped, trying to uh, to track look, 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 look at BJ's face. <laughs> I didn't say I could. I said I could do it on a Kevin, moped. Kevin, in your prime though. In my prime, I still would have needed a jetpack. That's all I'm going to say. Not being athletically arrogant with my speed. I've never had speed <laughs> at all. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. We'll come back. More to come here on 3 and out, including Corey Woodruff. The Falcoholic will join us in about 20 minutes talking Falcons and Bucks here on 3 and Out on this Wednesday afternoon. Welcome back to 3 and Out. I am Ben Troop. That is BJ Bennett and the man with the uh with the with the starburst purple looking shirt on. If you can see him, that is Kevin. You know you can have whatever you like, Thomas. They're not there's there there are no purple starbursts. They're purple starbursts now because I already said it. You're like sick of smoking. <laughs> you learned a lot today that you didn't know before you got here today. <laughs> can, just, you, <laughs> can you find if they're a purple star? I don't think there are. Oh yeah, he's on yeah, it right. You, you better hope it ain't, because there's a lot of flavors out there. I don't think just I, I don't think there is, but maybe there's a new variety. Yeah, I don't know. There, there could be, but I know there's the the yellow one, the red one, the pink one. I don't think there. The is, pink one is the only one that matters. Oh my goodness! Apparently there is. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. Go back, go back, no, 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 go back, go back, go back. What did what did that say? You got the orange. Hey. Oh no, that's a, that's something that's not in the. Uh, yeah, we won't talk about that one. Is there? Is there? I think there's a. Uh, it might be infused with something. Is there? There it doesn't appear that there is. There is one. Is there? Okay. There is a purple star. Apparently, you have to buy it. You can only uh, a special order it. Apparently. Well, there okay. it is. All right. Well, hey, we learned. I'm two for two today. Actually, the, I'm the three one for picture three. down here says is blackberry. Okay. If I'm reading it correctly, but anyways, anyways, that's not what we were going to talk about here at this segment. We were been just making up stuff that I thought was not true, so we had to find that there were purple starbursts out there. No, my my question was we we just talked about in take three with uh, with Penn State and the whiteout and why that it appears the collegiate 
atmosphere, it matters more than in the National Football League. You saw uh, the, the Giants at home this week, usually pretty radical. They lost to the Broncos. Why does it matter more in college where the atmosphere is versus the NFL where you, get, you have some great fan bases? Doesn't seem to play as big a role because you got real versus fake. I'm gonna say it right oh, now. No, 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 no. It's real versus fake, and, I, and I'm happy you said that. If you are a Dallas Cowboy fan, you are fake as all get out. I'm oh. gonna tell you. No, 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 no. <laughs> that stuff is fake because the whole thing about it is. College is not predicated on how good or bad your team is. You show up and you got your dishes no matter what. You show up more when they losing when they when they winning. Dallas, you think, oh, man, y'all are talking all that trash in the first eight games of the season, and once you realize it's going to be like every other season since the 90s, it become, well, you know, man, I mean, that game is really good. So it's fake. And I know I'm going to have a bunch of Dallas Cowboy fans coming at me. I don't care. It, it comes down to, listen, one takes pride in their team no matter what. The only thing, everybody else in the NFL is front running. It really, really is. I mean, I went, listen, I went, I went to school with a guy, you know, I went to college with a guy named Kelvin Kite, you know, played with him. You know, he was in the NFL, didn't even know he was a Raiders fan. He's all at the Raiders stadium. I said, boy, you a Raiders fan? Like, yeah, lies. You ain't no Raiders <laughs> fan. So that's what I'm saying. Too many bandwagon fans and too many fair weather fans in the NFL. You are loyal in, 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 uh, in college football no matter what. So this is real versus the fake. And if you are an NFL fan and you are only th- like y'all, y'all, you know, you live in South Georgia, and, and, and you and you are you a Seattle Seahawks fan? You are a liar. You do not root for them. So give me they real can root for DJ fame. Dallas. No, There's no, 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 I, I, no, 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 no. Come on now. I ain't talking about before twenty twenty one. I'm not talking about for 2020. I'm talking about a Jersey BJ that just came out the pack. You can smell how new it is. That Russell Westbrook, you mean Russell Wilson? Yeah, that's what I meant. No, you ain't no, you're not a fan. So give me real versus now. If you're a Jaguars fan, I'm not talking to you because may God. There help is, you. I don't know if there is a home field advantage for them. <laughs> okay, okay. But it is dramatic though, because like in the in, in the pros, it it feels like, seems like it has no influence. And in the college ranks, I mean, we mentioned this at the start of the show, right? South Carolina is playing at Georgia. Georgia is a 32-point favorite. If that game was in Columbia, it would probably be half that. The line would probably be half that, and it's just—it's amazing. I mean, I mean, we were talking about—we were talking about some of the games already you've seen in college football and and the results. And this is my theory, Ben. I understand what you know. Okay, I hear you. But I, is it just—you can speak to this. I mean, you're inexperienced. You're young when you play in college. I mean, if you're 19 years old and you've maybe only done this a couple of times, and you look up and there's 100,000 people and everybody's talking about you on TV and people are yelling at you and it's loud and you're still kind of getting comfortable with playing football at that high of a level. And I think younger teams are more susceptible to, you know, the loud crowd, whereas in the pros, man, this is what you do every single day. And you did the whole college thing for three or four years. You're accustomed to it. So I think it's just age and experience. And the younger you are, the less experience you have, the more impact the atmosphere has on you. And when you're 27, 28 years old and you've done it, I mean, is that fair, Ben? It is, but I think it's, <clears throat> but I think it's pride and prestige versus perception. Like, when you're in college, you take pride in your teams. It's prestigious. Like, you, you go back and forth with other fan bases because you're trying to tell, you're trying to tell them what they lack and what you have, you know, with, you know, with, your, with your particular college or university. There is a perception that just because the pros is the highest level that it is better. That is not true. There, you watch. Think about this, and BJ, I said this. If college played on the same day as the pros, how many, how many, how many viewers would the pros get? They wouldn't get the same viewership. That's why 
And the thing about college, there are way more games on Saturday than it is on Sunday. Way more. And you are still tuning in. Do you really? Are you really getting up for the Cardinals versus the Titans? No. <laughs> you're really not. It's just what else do you got? It's what else do you – so for me, I think pride and prestige is college and tradition. In the NFL, you got a bunch of slot fillers. You got a bunch of teams that are irrelevant. The most irrelevant probably conference in football is the AFC South. No one cares about the Titans. No one cares about the Texans. No one cares about the Colts. And no one cares about the Jags. Not for real. One team has to put swimming pools in his stadium. You know, one of, the other team in Indy, they have to pump crowd noise. The Titans, I played with the Titans. The Titans switch up the name of their stadium every other year. They switch up stadiums like Vanderbilt switch up head coaches. You don't even <laughs> know what to call the freaking stadium. It used to, when I was there, it went from the Coliseum to LP Field, and it's been 10 different things since. So basically, the, the, the stadium is going to the highest bidder. Do, college, do colleges do that? Nope. Whatever the name of the stadium is, that's one, it, it might be the name of the stadium and, and so-and-so field or whatever, but they ain't switching up. Like I said, pride. Prestige, tradition versus perception. So the NFL, it is fake, fake, and more fake. I'm, I, I, so for me, yes. I mean, I, I just think that when you talk about okay, college, so hold on a second. So hold on a second. There aren't real. So so because because you have a great perspective on this. So you don't have fans of NFL teams who love their team the way you know a passionate Bulldog fan loves loves Georgia football. When I played for the Titans and we would play uh, Peyton Manning, Tennessee Titan fans are rooting for Peyton Manning because he went to play for the Vols. You are you are conflicted. Okay, but what about the Steel? What about the Steelers? The oh, Raiders? No, the, 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 the Steelers have okay. The Steelers have tradition. I get that. I, I, I get that part. Yeah, the Steelers got real fans. The Eagles. Uh, I mean, I think they're they, fan they, base. They, okay. The Eagles. Do do do, do Jag, Do the Jazz got real fans? No. <laughs> do do the do the char, do the char, not only do the Chargers not have real fans, they're the other team in L.A. They're, they're the they're, you know they're the L.A. Chargers because you know San Diego told them to get the hell out. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like at the end of the day, we are talking about real. Listen, if you are a Georgia fan, you grew up being one. You don't know how to be nothing else. If you were to ask a Georgia fan, listen, if 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 a if a judge told a Georgia fan you got to root for Georgia Tech, or you got to root for Florida, they say give me the prison time. I'm not doing it. That's what I'm talking about. There was a kid at a game that when Kansas City was playing the Ravens, when the Ravens he had on a Ravens jersey, when the Ravens started losing, he took the Ravens jersey off and he had on a pay, a Patrick Mahomes jersey. There okay, is no hold on, hold on, because because Kevin talks about this all the time. I don't want to get clarity. What about those who, you know, may or may not like Georgia in football and maybe Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky in whoa, basketball? Whoa, whoa. Well, that's a real listen, a real Georgia fan only roots for the dogs <laughs> during football season. Like anybody that is caught rooting for them during basketball season, they beat them up. They're like, "What are you doing? We don't do that." I'm serious. Like if a Georgia listen, we there's a guy that's very, very, you know, familiar with the show. I'm not going to call his name out. He roots for the dogs. He also roots for the Yankees. He also roots for Duke in, in basketball. It happens. But at the same time, BJ, the reason why they don't root for the dogs in basketball, because what do the dogs do? The dogs had what? Anthony Edwards and what? Dominique Wilkins. And that's it. So it ain't much to go off of. But I'm just saying, if you, you got are Jonas college, and Jarvis Hayes, no, no, come no, no, on. If you know, I, but in all if you are a college fan, it's not based on the record. In your mind, you have to defend the honor of your team, especially against, like, you know, opposing, like, fan bases. In the NFL, it doesn't matter. You're just watching it because there is nothing else on TV to do it. When you play Thursday night, Saturday night, th Thanksgiving, Saturday night, 
the NFL, it just is what it is. I mean, you know how it's going to end. But in my mind, I played in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying, you know, me, me, Albert Hainsworth, Troy Fleming, we went to a high school game, and the kid asked for an autograph, and me and Troy gave him an autograph. And then Albert Hainsworth said, sorry, kid, I'm busy right now. And the kid said, you said no to a fan? That's why you guys suck anyway. So I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like, listen, there is no loyalty. There is no loyalty, BJ. And, you, BJ, I feel, I feel sorry for you because I root for the Titans, and you root for the Jags. I mean, if we were a number, we would be the number 100 because both our teams are zeros. And you know it is. <laughs> you know it is. And I, lo- and I love the Titans. But, hey, man, would I root for the wow. Titans if I didn't get drafted by them? Absolutely not. Well, and, but, you know, and so the Titans, the Raiders, the Titans, the Raiders, the Bucks. And the Falcons. I had no idea yeah. I was going to get Ben this fired up. Talking I'm sorry. About, I'm just saying. I don't, don't want to hear that college versus pro stuff. That's laughable. Well, there you go. We'll see if the Falcons can defend their own honor this week against the, uh, the Bucks. We'll chat with Corey Woodruff about that from the Falcoholic next here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here 3 and Out on this Wednesday. Falcons and Bucks coming up this weekend after a tough performance by Atlanta in week one. Corey Woodruff, the Falcoholic, joins us here on 3 and Out. Corey, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, guys. Good to be here. Hey, appreciate you coming on. Obviously, a uh, tough way to start the season last week. Doesn't get any easier with Tom Brady and the Bucks. Uh, most notably, the offensive line had its, uh, its struggles. What have the Falcons done uh, this week to try, to try to correct that as best they can? Well, they signed a couple of uh, free agents to the practice squad, one of them being Danny Isidore, a veteran guard. Um, but it seems right now like they probably will keep things the way they were. I know folks may not be excited at the idea of Jalen Mayfield playing again at left guard, um, but I imagine he'll at least get some snaps as they continue to try to figure out who to play at that spot. How do you offset some of the inexperience and struggles up front with play calling? Because obviously you got to do better than six points. you got to get in the end zone. What can they do to sort of hide, I guess, some of their struggles up front? Well, it's interesting. They've also got a brand-new play caller who's never been a head coach before. So uh, there's a lot of newness on both sides. And I think that you had a guy who had been a head coach before, it might be a little easier to make that transition with younger players. But it just feels like right now, with all the newness just all around the team, that all of that growing on the spot is not going to happen just on the field but on the sideline too. And, Corey, I mean, even sticking with this offense, I mean, are they trying to go for more balance? I understand that, you know, with a retooled offensive line, it's going to be – it's going to go through some growing pains when they didn't really have – you know, didn't really play at all in the offseason. But what's what's the – you know, what's the uh, focus of this offense? Is it more run-heavy to open up the pass or is it trying to be more 50-50? It seems like they're going for a balanced approach. And one of the things that Arthur Smith has really talked about wanting to do is not giving up on the run later in the game, even if you're down. He doesn't want to go past crazy like you may have seen last year Dirk Cutter do um, at many points in the game, even though his runs were always very strangely called. Um, It was a very balanced game. Um, I think that Smith would have gotten to that passing game a bit sooner, but I think the loss of Julio Jones is causing Matt Ryan to maybe be a little bit more gun-shy in the passing game as he gets used to not having his favorite target. So I think that there's a lot working there that would make them want to run the ball a bit more than we might normally see. And I know Arthur Smith had his own kind of way of doing things in the preseason, but has he said anything about the decision to not play a lot of the key guys in the preseason on offense, and then you kind of come out and just put up a six-point effort there in week number one? It's interesting. I don't know if he said a ton post-game about that, but 
Um, he seemed like he defended the move that, you know, I think that he saw so many injuries take place. And I think one thing to remember is that, you know, while we had a much more normal off season than we had in 2020, um, it still wasn't 100% how things were before the pandemic. So I'm guessing that since he's brand new, there's so many newness going on that just getting a healthy team to the field, which they by and large have done, uh, was probably worth it in their eyes. But I think the downside, obviously, is that when you don't get those reps in, it may take a little bit longer during the regular season to kind of get in rhythm. Do the Falcons need to make more of a concerted effort to get the ball to Kyle Pitts this weekend? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just a certain point where I know it's disappointing not to see him get those big targets in week one. But I think on especially in that in that Bucks system that they have on defense, like they're gonna have to they're gonna have to throw more because it's gonna be harder and harder to run the ball against the Bucks front seven. I mean it's one of the best front sevens in football. Um, getting Kyle Pitts loose, you know, after a pretty quiet week one, I think will one take some of the pressure off them from the fans to see that guy who they took over taking a quarterback like Justin Fields but it'll also, I think, match a bit better for what the Bucks do on defense since as, as, as talented as that whole Bucks team is, um, it's, it's going to be especially hard to run the ball. Defense had his struggles all day long. I mean, couldn't get a consistent pass rush, couldn't stop the run, wasn't really gelling uh, in, in, uh, in the defensive secondary. What what do they have to improve on the most with a, with a Tampa Bay team that's going to try to expose everything they don't do well? Well, I think you put it well. They're going to try to expose everything they don't do well. Um, the whole defense has to be better, but I think especially the coverage game has to be a lot better because I feel like up front you know where the talent deficiencies are. Um, the, the the secondary, though, it's just such a strange kind of assortment of people. Like A.J. Terrell is really the only guy outside of maybe Isaiah Oliver we've seen play in this team before in this system. Um, I actually kind of liked what Fabian Moreau did last week. I actually thought he played pretty well um, for his first game in the uniform. But obviously, you know, Falcons might get away with shutting down that Bucks rushing attack um, with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. But with Brady, you can't, you can't make mistakes. Like, they, they can't have any sort of lapses in coverage because um, he'll just gash them. So I think it's going to be – it's going to be huge for this Falcons team to really have a much better game against the pass than it last week. Uh, if they don't, then they're probably staring at an 0-2 uh, record. And, 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 Corey, this is obviously a tough week to, to try to break into the win column against the uh, defending champs and, and Tom Brady. But as you mentioned, defensively, uh, how have they been t- – They were. T- I mean, I think Jalen Hurts was making some throws on him. You can only imagine, I guess, what Tom Brady's going to do. How do they kind of gradually work that – in the right direction now, if you're Atlanta, because I know, uh, you know, last couple of coaches have been defensive guys and they've been down near the bottom of the league. And I think a lot of people look at the weapons on offense and you say this defense doesn't need to be one of the, the number one, two, three or four five defenses in the league. They just can't be one of the worst. H- how far do they have to go to kind of get themselves into a middle of the pack defense around the league? Well, I think it helps to have someone like Dean Pease calling the plays. Um, no matter how the talent is on the field, they still have a guy running the defense. He knows what he's doing, and he's going to be someone who has coached against Brady before. Um, he knows what Brady's ticks are. Jalen Hurts probably presented them a different challenge last week since he really didn't have that much film out, but obviously Brady's got as much film out as anybody in the league right now. They, they know what he's going to do, and he's going to do it well. So I think that you know, for them to get – to being like a middle-of-the-road defense, 
you know, they need to maximize the talent and try to continue to play more cohesively. But at the same time, you know, they need to have also an offense that's going to be able to run the clock out. And last week, after the offense started to sputter, it put the defense on the field way too much against a very mobile, effective quarterback. So um, I think the defense is going to need some help from the offense to take that pressure off. Because if you're expecting that top five and offense to really show up, they've got to do much more than it last week. Do you think the best chance for the Falcons to have some defensive success is to try to blitz Brady and get after him? Or do you think it's to sit back and just make Tom Brady kind of uh, complete five to seven yard passes up the field? I think it's going to be what you said with the blitzing approach. I mean, that's how they got pressure on him during the Super Bowl uh, all those years ago. Um, Grady Jarrett obviously had such a huge game there until, you know, things went in the wrong direction. But you have to blitz. I mean, the best way you beat Tom Brady is to get him on the ground. I think that if they try to let him have too much time in the pocket and just get those intermediate passes going, then he's just gonna, it's just going to be death by a thousand paper cuts. So I think the best plan for them, um, Dean Pease loves the blitz, and we saw that last week, but with a very lackluster group of pass rushers, he's just going to have to do everything he can to get pressure. Otherwise, I think the Bucks are going to uh, find a lot of success. A guy that really, really, uh, you know, uh, struggles a lot when, when having to get off the block is a guy in Deion Jones. How much is he kind of like uh, not benefiting from the fact that you got four guys up front, even even if Grady Jarrett is top, you know, top ten in his position? How much is he not benefiting from the fact that he can't really be himself to be able to run around, make plays, get out in the passing game, and make plays? Because I mean, he's spending so much energy trying to get off these uh, these guards and these uh, centers, uh, seemingly uh, putting their hands on him every play in the run game. Yeah, I agree. I think Deion Jones thrives when he's got that help up front that allows him to be that roaming enforcer that you need him to be. Um, you know, some linebackers excel in that exact system, and they can't do a ton when they're getting those guards when they pull. So I think that it's going to be much more advantageous for them to get that protection going um, Really, you know, it's hard to think of defensive protection since you're trying to attack the flat, the pass, and the run, but they are trying to protect Deion Jones. They're trying to protect him to be able to make those plays in the middle of the field. So um, I do think they're going to have to scheme a lot more to make sure that the really good players they do have, like Jones, can do the work they can. Corey Woodruff, the Falcoholic, our guest here on 3 and Out. Corey, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, guys. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Corey Woodruff, the uh, Falcoholic, and again, uh, the GOAT on the docket this week. I know Arthur Smith trying to get win number one as a head coach. Uh, there might be easier weeks to do that than the defending champs with Tom Brady. It's really, to me, going to take a much improved effort offensively and defensively if the Falcons are going to do it this weekend. Yeah, and I agree. You're probably going to have to blitz Brady and just kind of deal with it. That's your best chance. But offensively, I mean, what do you do to kind of get this thing going? I mean, Ben, would it benefit Kyle Pitts to get him some easy catches early? Do you try to get it out to Ridley, or do you try to run the football some, like like Corey talked about? How do you get this thing going? <clears throat> For me, I think it's going to be the quick passing game. Three-step drive, trying to get the ball out of Matty Ice's hands early because you want to keep him bigger than Kyle Pitts and I really know those guys. You want to make sure uh, that, uh, that a guy like Matty Ice, he, he's staying clean because we forget. I mean, Shaq Barrett, JPP, Vita Vey and those guys, Dominican Sue and those guys, they can get out the they can get after anybody. You saw what they was able to do, you know, in the Super Bowl against a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's really, really good, making plays outside the pocket. So the intermediate passing game, well, quick game, the intermediate passing game, Mike Davis. 
you know, could, you know, uh, Cadell Patterson, those guys got to gotta be factors, but can't be scared now. The season is here. You know, I mean, the, the true test for every team is what you do on Sunday. It's always good when you're going up against a familiar foe within the division. It's not going to be easy. No game is easy when you look at how much they struggle. But even if they do find a way to get the ball, you know, staying ahead of schedule, you know, getting in the end zone, I, it's not so much Tom Brady. It's this freaking defense. You're going to have to find a way. You're going to have to find a way, you know, uh, you know, to make sure, you know, it's, it's going to be something to where, you know, BJ and Kevin, <clears throat> that sometimes it's the basics. Blitzing and all that kind of stuff didn't, didn't work against Jalen Hurts. What do you think they're going to do against Tom Brady? Find a way to get the ball in the end zone. Uh, make sure you're getting points uh, that, that's not field goals when you get in the red zone with this Atlanta offense. And if you defense, man, you're going to have to find a way to go, you know, beat your, you know, uh, you know, beat up, you know, beat your individual matchups because this could get ugly in a hurry because Gronk, and, and freaking Antonio Brown, that's going to be your biggest problem. Gronk in the red zone and obviously Antonio Brown in the open field. Falcons and Bucks coming up this Sunday. It's a 4-15 uh, kick there in Tampa Bay. We've got more to come here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here with you on Three and Out. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop. Ben, how about those Gators in Bama this week? You know, Kevin, oh. <laughs> at, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, why, why are you out of breath? No, no, listen, why, listen, why, are you, listen, why are you breathing hard? Listen, at the end of the day, sometimes <laughs> you get caught up in the conversations in the break. But look, my Florida Gators, AR fifteen, Emory Jones, in the words, in the word, listen, listen, uh, if in the words of uh, the great Christian Gokel, what? No, what did you say? Put up a shut up earlier today. Don't talk about it. Be about it. I, I ain't want. I ain't want to misquote you. I'm probably not going to be watching the game because I'm going to be very, very nervous. But no, 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 do, do not listen, listen, do not take me to the game. And, and listen, and Cam with a K, you better not say nothing complimentary about them Gators. But no, I think, um, I think if you are Florida, you have to make sure that, you know, sometimes you don't know how good you are individually and you don't know how, you know, as a player, you don't know how great you are or good you are collectively as a team. And you're going to get tested top to bottom from the deep. The defensive line has been playing well. The receiving court has found that, you know, kind of like found a rhythm against USF. And if and if you are and if you damn well and you stand across the field to the guy who's the goat, you want to be considered. I mean, you. I mean, it's one thing to be in the top ten, Kevin and BJ of the best coaches, but the greatest coach to ever coach college football is across the field. And I and I, and I ain't taking nothing away from guys like Joe Pye and obviously Bobby Bowden. You know, when I when I make those sentiments. What in the world? I just noticed I had a little. Goat I was going to say, why is B- I, was, I was thinking of like. Has BJ figured out how to do CGI? Like, there looks like there's a goat floating around the screen. I no, I just like, looked over the and like and like behind the empty Coke bottles. I had a, I had a little miniature goat. I don't know why that's on here. So I brought. I mean, it up. Can we talking about? Can we talking about old Saint? We were talking about old Saint Nick. The goat just appeared. Yeah, out of thin air, there it was uh, to be talked about. We'll come back, hit to the uh, the final. <laughs> Into the final hour of the program, play a little Jeopardy in honor of the legendary Alex Trebek and uh, certainly yesterday the passing of Norm MacDonald. Yeah, yeah. Playing Burt Reynolds on the uh, Celebrity Jeopardy there on uh, SNL. We'll do that when we return here on 3 and Out on this Wednesday afternoon. Love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We are streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch the show every day on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube page at ESPN Coastal. You're on YouTube. Welcome back to 3 and Out. If you you are listening you are listening to the soothing sounds of Kevin Thomas uh you know what I'm saying EP he got a, he got an album coming out uh, he was gonna wait till Thanksgiving but look I mean it should be out right before the Florida Georgia game Georgia Florida game to you to you Georgia fans but Kevin I mean I know I talked about my book yesterday Kevin talk about the EP real quick before we uh, get to Jeopardy man I know this thing is gonna be serious apparently my uh, my son sold me out on that one and uh, apparently we're taking requests now. 
So he's uh, getting back channels to Christian saying, hey, play that song with my dad's name in it. Thanks, son. I don't want you to play those songs. I want those to stop being played. The end. Do they? Well, yeah, you, yeah, I'm you just got, saying. Yeah, you, like, your I, offspring requested it. Well, I mean, he does have strange taste. I will say that. No, Kevin, no, no, no. But, he's but, listening but what to about, it, so what I, about, what I love you, son. What about the yeah. album, though? There's, there is no album. There's not, there's not going to be an album? No. Why not? Because I said. <sighs> I mean, Kevin, you, no listen, album. we want the album. Well, you look at that. It's time to play a little Jeopardy here on the show. In Is honor it? of. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to move it forward. <laughs> Is it? I'm uh, in honor of Norm MacDonald, who obviously did a Jeopardy spoof on SNL, and the late Alex Trebek. Christian wanted to play a little college football Jeopardy and let us test our minds and our brains. Listen, I'm excited. You guys don't seem excited. You're never excited when we do this. I'm excited. I'm excited because I mean I don't have to. I don't have to worry about winning or losing it. Do we, is it a is it a group effort? Do me, do me, BJ and Kevin get a chance to uh, to go out there? You know, Kevin. I mean, I'm sorry, Kevin and BJ. Do we get a chance to like work together? Because if not, it's probably going to be real bad for me. But I mean, uh, I, I, no, there's no working together. This is competition, and we have a final Jeopardy today. I'm gonna take. Kevin Thomas musicals for 100. <laughs> no, we're playing Christian. Jeopardy. It's competitive. We're getting after it. Picking the category. What are we doing? I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the categories out there. And I, I did think it was funny though that you guys were like, "What are the categories? Like, what's it gonna be about?" It's college football. That's what we're doing, BJ. It's never a question what we're doing on Jeopardy. It's college football. Three categories today with 200, 400, 600, 800, and a thousand uh, as the different levels. Right. Yep. Stadiums, Florida, Alabama. Talk about it. And Georgia, South Carolina. Let's do it. Bing, bing, bong, bing, bing. Yep. So that's what we have as our categories. Uh, I believe BJ is our returning champion uh, from last time. I think Kevin finished in second place because Kevin just would not take any risks. He wouldn't guess <laughs> at all. Uh, and so, Ben, I believe you were in third. So, BJ... The board is yours. All right. I can't remember. Do you have to say your name first to answer, or do you just answer? Uh, say your name first just because of the way we're doing this. All right. Georgia, South Carolina for 200. All right. For 200, this South Carolina defensive back recorded three interceptions in ben, the 2019 DJ. game. Ben. Israel Mukwamu. That is correct. Had a pick six in that game as well. Bonus points, Ben. You know where he plays now? Now he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. He sure does. No bonus points, but. (laughs) (laughs) I will take. This works. Board's yours, Ben. I will take uh, Georgia, South Carolina for 400. For 400, making his SEC debut. This South Carolina freshman rushed for 187 yards in 2010s. BJ, go ahead. Who is Marcus Lattimore? Marcus Lattimore is correct. Finishing the question in 2010, 17-10 victory over Georgia. BJ. You are in the lead with 400, and the board is yours. Uh, 600, Georgia, South Carolina. All right, Georgia linebacker David Pollock batted down and intercepted a pass from South Carolina quarterback Kevin Blank in 2002. Go ahead, is Kevin. Is it Dondrell Pinkins? 
Who is Dondrell Pinkins? Minus 600. BJ. Go oh. ahead, BJ. Who is Cybell Newton? Oh, well, you guys don't have to guess. Uh, BJ is now at minus 200. No, Dondrell Pinkins was the one that fumbled at the two-yard line going in to score. Yeah. Think, oh. uh, you don't have to guess. If you don't know, you don't have to guess. Da, da, da. And I shouldn't be coaching. Uh, I shouldn't be coaching. I'm sorry. Corey Jenkins. Corey Jenkins. Was the quarterback. So, uh, new scores. Ben, 200. BJ, minus 200. Kevin, minus 600. Uh, BJ, the board's still yours. Uh, 800. All right. For 800 in 2011, this South Carolina player became the third player since 2006 to score a touchdown both on offense and defense in the same game. It was a 68-yard run on a fake punt and a five-yard fumble return. He also recovered an onside kick late in the game to seal the victory for the game. Oh, my goodness. What's it? BJ? BJ, go ahead. Who is Kelsey Quarles? That is incorrect. BJ, you're up minus 1,000. Oh, my oh, God. Oh. What is it? Ah, he played defensive. Ah. He sure did play defense. He, oh, my goodness. I'm going to be so mad at this, man. Because he scored a touchdown on special teams and on defense. He played defensive dun, tackle. Dun. Ah. Who is Melvin Ingram? Ingram. Yep. I knew it. The defensive tackle. All right, BJ, the board's still yours. You're at minus 1,000, though. Well, let's try it. Let's go 1,000. All right. In 2000, South Carolina's defense intercepted this Heisman Trophy hopeful five times in a 21-10 upset of the number 10 Bulldogs in Columbia. The victory broke an 18-game SEC losing streak for the Gamecocks. Ben. Ben, go ahead. Quincy Carter. Quincy Carter's correct. <laughs> So that, that finishes up wow. the Georgia-South Carolina category. Uh, updated scores real quick. Ben at 1,200, Kevin at minus 600, and BJ at minus 1,000. Ben, the board is yours. Categories against stadiums and Florida-Alabama. Florida-Alabama for 200. All right. The last time Florida defeated Alabama was when? Ben. Ben, go ahead. 2008. 2008 is correct in the SEC championship game uh, in 2008. Ben, at 1,400, the board's yours, sir. 400. 400. These two coaches are tied for the most wins in the series with seven. Oh. Bam, bam. Who are Nick Nick Saban Saban and Bear Bear Bryant? Bryant. I was going to say that. Well, you didn't say it, so you're still at minus 600. So (laughs) that's where we're at. Uh, Ben? 600. This player tallied 245 yards in the 2020 SEC championship game. Ben. Ben, go ahead. 228. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm going to say something stupid. Uh, Devonta Smith. That is incorrect. Wait a minute. 220. The 2020 SEC championship game between Florida uh, and Alabama. BJ, go ahead. Najee Harris. Who Na- is Najee Harris? Yeah, Najee Harris oh, is did. correct. He also had five touchdowns yeah, in Najee. that game. So, BJ, you're at minus 400 now, and the board is yours. Yeah, 800. Florida has won games in this series in five different cities. Tuscaloosa, Gainesville, Atlanta, Birmingham, and... What is Montgomery? Montgomery. Mm. Back when Alabama used to play in like every city in Alabama. <laughs> oh, drop 1,000. Drop my score sheet. All right, BJ, for 1,000, 
These programs met in the first SEC championship game ever in 1992. Who provided the game-winning score for Alabama? Oh, I know the, who made the like highlight play in that game, I think. I don't know if it was the game-winning score. BJ. BJ, go ahead. Who is Antonio Langham? Holy cow, that is amazing. Who are you? Well done. So, updated scores here. Ben, 800. BJ, 600. Kevin, minus 600. BJ, the board is yours. Stadiums are our only category left. Let's just work from the bottom. All right, for 200, this school stadium is lovingly referred to as the Bounce House. BJ. BJ, go ahead. Who is Central Florida? That is correct. We are tied at 800. BJ, the board is yours. Four. This stadium is home to the 12th man. Ben. BJ. Ben, go ahead. Uh, Kyle Field. Kyle Field Field is correct. Ben, you are at 1,200. 600. All right. Penn State Stadium is located in University Park, referred to as Happy Valley, but is actually named? BJ. BJ, go ahead. What is Beaver Stadium? That is amazing because Kevin literally said this earlier, and he just stared at me with a blank face. I had it. I just don't ring in fast enough is my bad. Eight. All right. Clemson and LSU both refer to their stadiums as Death Valley. Oh, Ben, go ahead. What's your answer, Ben? Ben, go ahead. (laughs) Just guess. It'd be funny if you get it. LSU. That is is incorrect. (laughs) Now finishing the question. Clemson and LSU both refer to their stadiums as Death Valley, but their official names are? BJ. BJ, go ahead. Tiger Stadium and Memorial Stadium. That is correct. BJ, you're at 2,200. Ben, you're down to 400. Uh, Last one on the board here, 4,000. This conference is home to the three largest capacity stadiums in college football. BJ. Kevin, I need a judgment on that one. I'm playing against him. I'm going to say Ben, and it might BJ just be because he's in the same room as me, and I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, but – Ben, go ahead. I'm going to go to Big Ten. The Big Ten is correct. Now, we do have double jeopardy, Kevin. Unfortunately, because you're in the minuses right now, uh, you do not have a chance. I'm going to invoke the uh, powers of the federal government and bet money I don't have. How about that? Uh, Can I do that? uh, No. So this is between Ben and (laughs) BJ. BJ, you are currently in the lead with 2,200. I would like to. you have 1,400. For the purposes of this being a radio segment, I'm going to need you guys to go ahead and tell me what you are betting. You have fourteen hundred to bet, it. Ben. Just bet all of it. All of it. All right. So Ben is putting fourteen hundred down. BJ, how many are you putting down? All of it. So however much I have to bet to get it right and win and beat him. Correct. So if he gets this right, he has twenty eight hundred. So I'll bet fourteen hundred and one. All right. For BJ. All right. Yeah. The last time Penn State and Auburn met. The Tigers defeated the Nittany Lions 13-9 in the 2003 Capital One Bowl behind an MVP performance from this player. Now, before you say anything, BJ, type your answer in the chat. Ben, don't look at your screen. Who who won? And the the last time Penn State and Auburn met, the Tigers defeated the Nittany Lions 13-9 in the 2003 Capital One Bowl behind an MVP performance from this player. All right. Oh, BJ put down. All right, Ben, without looking at your computer, tell me your guess. Uh, 
Ronnie Brown. Oh, my goodness, folks. Oh, my goodness, folks. Is that right? Ben Troop is correct. <laughs> that puts Ben at 2,800. BJ put Carlos Dansby. He was incorrect. That brought his grand total down to 599 points. Ben Troop. He won a game. Is our Jeopardy well champion. Done. Well, give me the well cheese. Done, give me the cheese. I'm a bad man. <laughs> there you go. Our nod to Jeopardy here on a Wednesday afternoon. We'll come back with more three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Out with Gerald Anderson coming up in about 15 minutes. Former big time defensive tackle uh, for the Dogs. Uh, won some SEC championships in Athens, 0205, and we'll get his perspective Ben, on what is potentially a generational Georgia defense. And you think about the defensive tackles, right? You think about. Marcus Stroud and Richard Seymour, Big Gerald. You think about Jonathan Sullivan. You think about you know the great interior defensive linemen that you've had, Geno Atkins. Where does Jordan Davis rank uh, when you talk about the all-time great or generationally great Georgia interior defensive lineman, Jeff Owens? So we'll chat with uh, Gerald Anderson about this Georgia defensive front. But I had an interesting thought. We were talking about this in the show meeting. I wanted to get your perspective on, Ben, because – I said yesterday, and a lot of people were surprised, that I think this is going to be a close game between your Florida Gators and Alabama. And I think there are a number of factors, okay? First and foremost, I think Florida's good. And I think that's one of the few things that I was actually right on in the preseason. I think Florida's better than people think. I saw some preseason rankings that had Florida, right, like 18 to 24. And I'm thinking, no, this could be a top 10 team. And what, right, Ben's Florida 11th now, I think? And if you win Saturday, maybe even if you play close on Saturday, you could move up. But the factors are Florida's good. They have big-time playmakers. It's at home, and you have a really good defense. And I know Kevin doesn't like when I bring this up, but I also wonder if there's an element of math at play here where Alabama has won 16 games in a row, 16 games in a row. And there's a famous quote by Lou Holtz, you can't win every game, only the next one. But since – the Miami teams of the early 2000s, since 2002, only so the last 20 years, only three Power Five teams have won 25 games or more in a row. That's Alabama in 15-16, Clemson in 18-19, and Florida State in 2012-2014. Is there something to be said, Ben? I mean, you played it for just ultimately you're going to get beat and the law of averages, you start getting up to 16, 17, 18 games in a row. That doesn't happen historically. Is there something to be said about your time's just up for a loss? And could there be something to that with Alabama? Yes, and because I think what happens is, BJ, you know, you don't – as a as a player and a coach, you don't really keep up with the streaks, but you got you started getting asked those questions by the media, and those things start trickling down, uh, you know, through the you know to, uh, through the team from the head coach. You start saying to yourself, "Oh, uh, we don't really care about streaks." Well, of course you care about streaks. The goal is to go out there and win every single game you play, and the goal is to be one and zero after every single week. So when you start talking about streaks, those are things that aren't talked about a lot. Those aren't something that's like normal when you start talking about the, you know uh, the day in day out, uh, you know, a grind of a football team. So, yes, BJ, I do think numbers are a part of it. I do think streaks starts added to the already, uh, you know, built-in pressure that comes with being, you know, uh, Alabama. So, yes, Nick Saban is, isn't always, like, freaky when they win. It's always something. Either certain things have to matter. Like, it's either a streak 
is either a Heisman Trophy quarterback or a really, really good quarterback or some weird things that start happening like a, like, a, like a kick six. So if it's Alabama, it's almost like they're their own worst enemy because they're so good and you're not beating them straight up. It becomes like BJ, every time Alabama loses, you go back to a freaky, something freaky in the game. When, you know, Bo Nix, when he first beat Alabama in the, in the Iron Bowl, you know, somebody got a pick off that was that the ball was sitting on somebody's back and it was a pick six for 100 yards. You start saying, oh, that go that crazy stuff. Or Johnny Manziel just running out of, you know, just running in and out of he finds, you know, the freaking, uh, uh, the, uh, I think it was the running back or the receiver in the end zone. So, yes, BJ, so this is something else to add to it, to with everything else that could happen with Alabama because the law of averages or, you know, a, you know, a numbers correction game. This don't, So, yes, if you talk about the streak and you talk about how many games in a row, and you start factoring in Bryce Young, you know, being a, you know, uh, you know, his first start, you know, in, in his first big game ever, um, a team that's trying to live up to the standard of Alabama, and you add that with with how many what what twenty some games in a row? Yes, BJ, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and hopefully that win is this weekend. Right, and and that's kind of what I what I look at when I try to project or predict an upset, and I'm not good at predicting games. I think our standings, uh, you know, PJ, I, I I think our standings on ESPN Coastal reflect that. But when I but when I think about an upset, I think about a team having won, you know, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 games in a row. Once you get much higher than that, you don't see a lot of that in. In, in modern history, and I just wonder, is that an element? Now, Kevin mentioned this earlier in the show, too, and yesterday. Look, does Florida believe they can play with Alabama? Well, here's a question, and Ben, I know you know the answer. One team in Alabama's current 16-game winning streak has played the Crimson Tide within single digits. You know who that team is. You know who that team was. One, one team, is. what was the year again? One team, Alabama currently has won 16 games in a row. One team in that span has played Alabama within single digits. And that, would be, that, would, be, that would be Florida yeah. in, uh, in, the, in the SEC championship game. Yeah, so Florida knows they can do it. Here's Now, here's where it gets weird, and I'm not saying the players should want that. I'm not in any way suggesting the players think this way. But if you're a fan, okay, and you're looking at – and I know Alabama can beat anybody, but since the Miami teams of the early 2000s, the last 20 years, nobody has won 30 games in a row. Nobody's won. It hasn't happened in, in this generation. If Alabama is to continue continue on and go undefeated, they're going to be getting close to that. Would it make sense if you're a fan? Because you, we've talked about this before. It's not, like you said, Ben, if you lose, it's when you lose. If you assume you're going to lose and the numbers have to kind of reset themselves, a loss to Alabama or to Florida for Alabama would not be that bad. It's out of division, so it doesn't count you know, head-to-head like LSU or A&M or Auburn would. It's not to a bad team. You would lose to the number 11 team in the country. It's not late in the season where if you lose in November, that might be too much to overcome. To reset the numbers, and you think about an early season loss, you know, a couple years ago you lost to Ole Miss early, still won the national championship. Might this be a game that would be kind of worth losing if you're Alabama where you would reset all the numbers, reset your streak, you don't lose to to a division foe, you win out, you're still obviously going to be the SEC champion and in the playoff, or would you be okay having won? I don't know, what would it be? It'd be like 27, 28 games in a row if you get to the playoff. Would you be okay with that mathematical history? Or would it make sense to lose? I'm not saying the players, Ben. I'm saying if you're a fan, would it make sense to kind of lose this game, reset things, and then win the inevitable 12 or 13 games in a row you know Alabama's going to? 
obviously the fan of me says, you know, I will say yes, but the analyst, the analyst of me says yes for this reason, BJ. Alabama is the one team that not only do they need a loss, they benefit more from losses than the wins. Like they don't have to win the SEC to because this is about this is about their postseason aspirations. Like no one, no one really wants the pressure of going undefeated. And BJ, this becomes this becomes time to who is the best loss on our schedule this year? LSU isn't as attractive. Auburn, we don't know how good they are. Texas A&M is, is, is going to probably start losing because Haynes King, their starting quarterback, is done. So, I mean, Ole Miss got Matt Corral, but we've already seen that. It's, it's no Georgia this year on the, on the, you know, on the, uh, on the schedule in the regular season for, for, uh, for Alabama. So, is it, so this year, Florida is the most attractive team, because, and they're the best team to lose to because this propels Florida because this is one thing you ain't factoring in either. When you lose to Alabama, that propels your team to play better the rest of the year because that puts you in the driver's seat. So that actually makes Florida a better team down the stretch because they have they have Alabama on their resume. So, yes, for Alabama, it's who is who gives us the, the most quality loss. It's usually LSU, Auburn, or Texas A&M. Well, LSU lost to UCLA, so that's not going to be as attractive. Auburn, we don't know how good of a team they are because they average 60 points a game against lesser competition. And Texas A&M not, might not be as good as a team by the time they play Alabama. So for all things that's going to benefit Alabama, if it's going to be a, a team to lose to, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, it's going to be. And BJ is the third game of the year. By the time you get to the end of the year, it's still going to be a loss, but they're going to be far away removed from that. So, yes, the timing is right. The team is right. The numbers are right. I think. I think. Hopefully, Saturday everything comes together and Florida does their end of the deal. And and Saint Nick, he only gives out one present a year. Maybe he gives it to Dan Mullen this year. Yeah, and and a couple of thoughts. Again, could Alabama be sort of mathematically due for a poor performance or a loss, and then taking it a step forward? To your point, then would this be the game that you could clearly lose and it not affect anything, right? Because before the Georgia-Clemson game, what'd you hear people say? Well, it's not really that big of a deal if Georgia loses. They won, but if Alabama loses this game, does it change anything? Nope. If they win every game in the SEC West, they're still going to the conference title game. If they win that, they're going to be in the playoff. It doesn't change anything. And I think you'll see a lot of people, if, big if, Florida wins this game, go, up. Oh, Alabama's done. Nope. Let me take you back to 2015. 2015, Alabama won the national championship. They lost the game on September 19th to Ole Miss. Ole Miss was ranked 10th in the country. That was on September 19th. Went on to win the national championship. This Saturday will be September 18th. Florida is ranked 11th in the country. A little symmetry. Ole Miss won that game. If Florida wins this game, mathematically, it could actually reset Alabama to win the national championship. Then we got to get to Big Gerald. We'll come back and chat with Gerald Anderson, former Georgia star and uh, Ware County Gator. He'll join us next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. You are seeing a defense that is not yet allowed a touchdown, and that defensive front, a big reason why. And with us now to talk some Georgia defense, talk about the dogs. Uh, had a great career at the University of Georgia as an interior defensive lineman himself. Gerald Anderson, also former Ware County Gator, joins us on the program. Gerald, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing great. Thanks so much for coming on. And look, we've seen great defensive lines at Georgia year after year, great defensive fronts. In your mind, as, uh, as a, one of those defensive linemen that was a big-time playmaker for the Dogs, how good is this front? Uh, this front that they got is, uh, is pretty good. I played with some pretty talented uh, defensive linemen there at the University of Georgia, uh, David Pollock, Quentin Moses, Charles Johnson, Jonathan Sullivan, just to name a few. But uh, these guys are uh, 
they get after it pretty good. They're, they they seem very hungry. They got a lot of experience. Um, and, and then they're coached up pretty good. So uh, this, this front that Georgia has is it could be ranked up as uh, one of the top you know defensive fronts that they've had. But uh, I've been very impressed over the last uh, couple of games and just watching the things that they're doing. So they I can tell they're coached up real well. They they're very talented. They're hungry, and uh, they're doing a great job. Gerald, the one thing about uh, interior defensive alignment play, you know, uh, the last couple of years, you know, the production wasn't 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 what it is now because now they're letting these guys get up the field. It's not it's not more like you know gaps, you know, trying to figure out you know uh, what you know stay in your gap. It's really like getting up the field, trying to keep pressure on these quarterbacks, not making sure these guys stay in the pocket. How much how much freer is it being an interior D lineman when they letting you kind of just go out there and be in attack mode instead of kind of being a two gapper? Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot different. Um, like you said, when I played, it was more of a control your gap, uh, keep the linemen off of the linebackers, let the linebackers flow and make plays. Uh, today's game is just a lot different. It's evolved uh, to a whole different element where they are uh, defensive. Interior guys are a lot more athletic. Uh, they're, they're, they're being able to freely just uh, get around gaps. And basically, uh, once, they, once they shoot a gap or beat a gap, they're basically uh, able to – be an athlete and make plays. So it's just the game is involved. Um, it's a lot faster uh, than it was, and, and the guys are just able to just, you know, kind of freely make plays and not have to control a gap so much. And, Gerald, we love talking about quarterbacks and the big plays, but you look at Georgia Clemson, for example, a couple of weeks ago. That was 10-3, to 3 and, and, and the score, the touchdown was a defensive touchdown. When you have a dominant defensive front, just how much of an ability does that give you to control the game, regardless of the opponent you're facing? Uh, it, it, that's a fun game, that, you know, for a defensive player, especially defensive lineman. Um, when you see a game like that um, for for a defensive team, that's almost like an offense scoring 50 points. I mean, you you kind of look at it and say, hey, you know, as a defense, we we shut their run game down, we held them to three points, and we scored on defense. That's almost equivalent to an, an, an offense saying, hey, we rushed for uh, 400 yards, we threw for another 400 yards, and we scored 50 points on, on, on this team. So that's, uh, that's kind of what that was for, for a defense team. It's kind of always uh, great to have a, a game like that, and it's great to see a defense do it. So for me, it was fun to actually watch. And Gerald, when you think about when you think about defensive line play at Georgia, especially interior defensive line play, I mean Marcus Stroud, Richard Seymour, Jeff Owens, Geno Atkins, Jonathan Sullivan, John John Jenkins, D'Angelo Tyson, yourself. Jordan Davis is a mountain. I mean, he's a mountain of a man, 6'6", 365 pounds, but bigger than what he does, you know, as far as, like, creating havoc and, you know, just putting, you know, uh, making sure that that opposing center doesn't get any sleep. He's running down quarterbacks like he's a linebacker. Just talk about not just what he does, you know, uh, you know on the defensive line, but just his impact on the entire team. Uh, like you said, I mean, he is a mountain of a, of a player, and um, – you know, you see a lot of big players, a lot of big, massive players that it might just be one-dimensional as far as being able to control a center, control one gap, or control even two gaps back, you know, back at one time. But, you know, just like I stated earlier, the, you know, the game has totally evolved. Uh, uh, these guys are able to run sideline to sideline. Now, you got interior guys that are, you know, biggest offensive linemen, but they're running like defensive ends. And that's, you know, that's kind of, 
it's kind of if you want to, you know, equivalent to like what they say about LeBron James. I mean, he's the size of a power forward, but he plays like a point guard. It's kind of the same thing. It's just the way the the game has evolved. The athletes have uh, evolved, and a guy like uh, Jonathan Davis, he, he's he's a great player. I mean, I'm, I've watched him play. I've seen the things he's done. I, you know, I've even seen some stuff off the field, and he's just an incredible person. And I could just tell he has that kind of work ethic, that kind of motor that just have made him. Uh, a great player, so he's 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 the typical uh, interior guy that's that they're looking for in that that kind of scheme that is starting to change the game. Gerald Anderson here with us on three and out, and uh, Gerald, you were on some championship teams in Athens. I know it's early. I know we're talking about a couple of games, but based on what we've seen so far, does this look like a championship team to you? Uh, if I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Um, it, there, there's a lot of missing pieces right now. Um, the defense is playing lights out, which is always great. Um, we are pretty banged up right now in the, uh, in the, basically in the uh, perimeter game on offense. Um, I would like to see a lot of changes there as far as just getting guys back and getting them in the rotation. I think it's going to help open up the run game. And once those things happen, I think you will see a championship uh, caliber uh, University of Georgia team. Right now, I just don't want to count those eggs before they hatch. I think this team has a uh, the ability to chance the players to kind of to be at that level. Uh, but right now, if I had to say this is a championship-caliber team, I, I don't want to label them like that. I've seen a lot of things go a whole different way. I mean, we got a huge opponent this weekend that uh, we're getting ready for. And um, like I just tell everybody, let's just take one game at a time. Let's get guys back. Let's, let's, let's keep growing offensively and defensively, and then uh, we'll see at the end of the season how the chips may stack. And, Gerald, even uh, even sticking with uh, you know with what you just mentioned about like just being hesitant to give these guys that that moniker of they are a championship team. No George Pickers on offense. No Darnell Washington on offense. Obviously, Stetson Bennett is uh, filling in right now for JT Daniels. They haven't had a lot of injuries on the defensive front. If Is this team good enough to just maintain what it's been doing defensively if and when injuries do occur? Uh, we will hope so. Uh, I, I, it's hard to really say. I hope they are. I, I don't want to see, you know, I think, you know, like this past game against UAB, a lot of our number twos and threes on defense got a lot of reps, and that's where it starts at. These guys are getting the, the quality reps that they need. Uh, that way, when their number is called to uh, step up and be a starter and get those starter-type reps against the number ones of a opposing team, uh, they're able to perform at the same level that the number one guys are. So, you know, I hope to keep a lot of guys safe, uh, injury-free. Uh, we, you know, and at the end of the season, we get a full team back ready to play and uh, and be that championship caliber team that we're looking for. And Gerald Ben mentioned uh, Stetson Bennett. You're obviously uh, from Waycross. He's from uh, Blackshear, and we saw him with five touchdown passes in the first half. Uh, against UAB. Just talk about Stetson Bennett, and I know we've had some guests on this week who've said, look, he's been there when Georgia's needed him. You know, you've needed a quarterback to come in and give you a spark. You needed a quarterback to come in off the bench or to start for a couple of weeks. Just talk about uh, what, what he's meant to the program and uh, that performance on Saturday. Um, you know, that, that performance on Saturday is just a testament of what he's done since he's been there. Uh, you got a kid who didn't come in as a scholarship-type kid, uh, he, he's undersized, worked his butt off. We saw what he did last year when we were kind of, you know, looking for that particular quarterback to lead this team. 
And, uh, you know, it, he seems like a kid that's just done it without without question or without complaining. And I, I've kind of been proud to see what he's done. I mean, I know a lot of people have griped about, hey, we, we got two five-star quarterbacks that we signed, and, you know, we want to see one of those guys eventually get on the field and play. But, you know, I, I did read an article, and I kind of grew a lot more respect for Coach Kirby Smart of saying that, hey, I got, you know, a group of receivers that – need some confidence, need some experience. And against a UAB team, I didn't want to throw a quarterback out there who needed some experience and need some confidence along with the perimeter game. So I threw a guy out there who has the experience, has the confidence, and he can lead this team. And, and it worked out fine for him. He threw five touchdown passes. He did a heck of a job leading that team. And um, it made a lot of sense. And I think it gave the, the, the receivers, the tight ends, some uh, – some valuable experience and confidence to hit that, that we need to kind of springboard this offense with the amount of injuries and uh, inexperience that we have right now. And Jared, with so much with so much uh, talk about you know uh, you know George and what do, what you guys are looking to do uh, this year and rightfully so, a guy like Stetson Bennett, you know, like you just mentioned, it's more than just a fill in. I mean, you look at what his impact was. No, you know, Jamie Newman decides to uh, to not play last year. JT Daniels was injured. He steps in and plays very very well. I don't think he I don't think he should have got judged off what he didn't do against Alabama and Florida. But then you look at this year and how he just uh, he has a stay ready mentality. Just talk about how that is really the hardest thing to do in college it's not so much can you play or can you not play can you always be mentally sharp and ready to step in when your numbers go uh, that's the, the the biggest thing that makes a college football player especially if you're not an uh, immediate starter um are you gonna you gotta always be ready to step in and get those starter reps especially if you're number two you never know when your name's going to be called most most guys that that work their way into a starting role they probably have started out as being a number two, of course, or playing a lot on special teams. And, and maybe the guy in front of them, maybe one year he graduates, one year he, uh, let's say, quit the team, one year he's uh, injured, and you never know when your name is going to be called to, to fill that void. So you got to always be ready, not just physically, but definitely men mentally, and, uh, and be ready to perform because there's, you know, every year these schools are recruiting to be the number one. So they're always recruiting to replace you, no matter where you're at, no matter who you are. So you always got to be mentally and physically ready to play. Gerald Anderson with us here on 3 and Out. And finally, Gerald, I know you've done some coaching. Uh, you talked about maintaining that 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 week-to-week -week mindset. If you're Kirby Smart, what's your message to a team that everybody's talking about, everybody's loving on, everybody's hyping up, and you still have a long way to go? What's your message if you're Kirby Smart? Uh, my biggest message is do not believe the hype. I mean, if if I'm if Kurt, if Coach Smart is hearing the same things that I'm just hearing, and I'm just a, a fan at this point, everybody's already talking about, hey, we got a chance to play Alabama twice this year. You know, they're already thinking that it's going to be Alabama Georgia in a SEC championship game, and it's going to be Alabama and Georgia probably in the playoffs if we finish up one and two. Do not believe the hype. Take it one game at a time. I mean, you know, everybody is uh, has their day. And you want to stay focused. You want to get your, you know, your guys back healthy. You want those guys to come in focused and be game ready and just take it one game at a time. Focus on your next opponent. South Carolina is the number one focus at this point. And then we'll go along ne next week and figure out what we're going to do from there. But, do not worry about what can happen in December. Do not worry about who's going to be in the playoffs. Just take it one game at a time and just keep 
keep being focused and keep being hungry throughout the rest of the year. Great perspective from Gerald Anderson, former star defensive lineman for the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, Waycross native as well. Gerald, thanks so much, my friend. We'll uh, chat again soon. Thank you. Gerald Anderson and Ben quickly uh, look said, "Hey, there's still some things we got to work on. Got to take it week by week." And I'm 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 sure that's what the players are hearing from the staff right now. Absolutely, Kirby Smart makes sure he makes sure those guys have you know uh, you know uh, just gotta keep that uh you know keep that uh you know uh, different kind of focus. BJ not really worrying about what's going on down the road. All they can control is the next game. The most game, the most important game is always the uh, the next game coming up. Do not look past the Gamecocks, BJ. We are only two years removed for these same Gamecocks coming into uh you know coming to Georgia between the hedges and walking away victorious. We'll come back. Get you ready for Braves baseball next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hopefully Atlanta can bounce back against Colorado. Four and a half games up, obviously winding down the regular season. I think you feel pretty good about where you are. Four and a half games up. Uh, Waskari Noah goes tonight. But, Ben, where's your confidence level uh, to where we are where, uh, what, a couple of weeks, like three weeks left, and you're talking about a four and a half game lead, three or four weeks left. You're feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good, BJ, man, because uh, the Braves are the ones being chased. They're not they're – not, they're not, they're not, they're not chasing the Phillies right now. So, look, I give the, I give this Braves team a lot of credit. Put themselves to be both in the wild card chase, BJ, regardless of what happened with the NL East. But I think this Braves team is saying, look, we don't want to, we don't want to leave our uh, season a chance. What three years? What three years for uh, Snit and Alexanthopoulos? Three, three NL East champions. They trying, they trying to go for the four P, BJ. And the fact that they are doing this without uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., no Mike Soroka, and with the newer additions like Solaire and those guys. And maybe, and arguably, the best infield in baseball when you talk about just from an offensive standpoint. So very, very impressed with this Braves team. Finding a way to maintain. And they did the whole win-loss, win-loss, win-loss to find themselves four and, a games, four and a half games up with, what, 19 games to go. Very, very impressed with this Braves squad. And it's amazing. You look at the production from the infield and the power and the RBI numbers. You kind of forget about the outfield. Adam Duvall last night hit home run number 35, and he went over 100 RBI. Now at 101 uh, for Adam Duvall, so congratulations to him. But, yeah, not a not a great start from uh, Toussaint last night. Waskari Noah goes tonight. And, look, wrap it up. I think Kevin said the magic number is 15. Let's go ahead and move towards that. But I think you're feeling pretty good uh, about the Atlanta Braves, where they are, and a chance with the schedule, at least on paper, not being that challenging to take care of the division and uh, win yet another division title. Waskari Noah on the mound tonight, and uh, that coming up a little bit later. We'll have afternoon baseball for you tomorrow. First pitch, I believe, set for 12:25 tomorrow. Braves and Rockies, but plenty of college football talk still to go the rest of the week. I want to thank Jamie Bradford for joining us on the show today. Also, Corey Woodruff and Gerald Anderson. We will see you tomorrow, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, ESPNCoastal.com.